You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Show, episode 208. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook, and keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. It's great to be back with you again this week. We have a busy show, and Aaron will start with an earnings season review in another top five earnings segment over the past week, including commentary on Ready Shred, Capital Corp, symbol KUT on the TSX Venture, Procter Gamble, PG on the New York Stock Exchange, Badger Meter, BMI on the New York Stock Exchange, Lockheed Martin, LMT on the New York Stock Exchange, and Atlas Engineering Products, AEP on the TSX venture. So right across the board, a sweep of companies across North America. In our Your Stock Artike segment, I will answer a viewer question on CECOM satellite systems, symbol CMI on the TSX venture, a Canadian microcap with a 5% dividend that provides commercial grade mobile auto deploying satellite antenna systems. The stock is down 48% in the past year, and our viewer asks if today is a good time to buy into this cash-rich microcap stock. Brett answers a question on Pinterest, P-I-N-S, or pins on the New York Stock Exchange, Brennan's favorite destination on the World Wide Web. Pinterest, for those unaware, is an online product and idea discovery platform that helps users gather ideas on everything from recipes to cook to great travel destinations. The stock has had a strong 2023, up just over 19% year-to-date. Brett lets you know if it is over, under, or fairly valued at present. Finally, in our Your Stock Our Take segment, Brennan answers a question and reviews Anheuser-Busch, InBev, Bud, BUD on the New York Stock Exchange, the suddenly embattled Belgium-based beer giant in the wake of the Bud Light controversy. Is the stock a buy today? Headlines say it is down big, but is it really? Brennan will let you know. All right, let's get to the show. I welcome my co-host, Aaron, and the Killer Bees, Brett and Brennan. How are you guys doing? Gentlemen. Doing well. Good. Have Everybody have a good weekend. Uh, you have a big trip coming up. It's yep. true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Exciting. We're doing an analyst. Um, uh, we go interview speed date management teams. We're in Las Vegas this time. Um, I've got to do a podcast down there one day. Uh, we got to, I got to do two fireside chats with a couple companies. Uh, then I've got to do, uh, we got to do a couple meetings, dinners. Like then we've got, I've got 15 meetings on one of the days there. So we'll be busy. We'll be kept quite busy. It should be, uh, probably be more tired after the yep. event than before. Yeah, and I have to wake up at uh, you know three a.m. to to fly out of Saskatchewan because it's so lovely to fly out of Saskatchewan. So, Brennan, uh, people know. I heard that Air Canada is pulling flights out of yes, Saskatoon. Pulling flights, out, flights of out of Saskatoon. 
I don't believe that it's all flights. Maybe Ryan would have more information on that. Um, but I do know I that nothing. WestJet. Sorry for putting you on the spot, but I do yes. know that. I mean, it's my province. I should know, but uh, I do know that WestJet is stepping up, and um, you but know, WestJet pilots also voted to strike. I did see this as well. Yeah, you so, may never even leave. If you stop in <laughs> you're not going to be able to make it back. He loves it, though. I, I guess so. Well, looks like uh, one of you guys are going to have to be with Ryan for a, for a whole week. You know? no, Ooh, no, wait a minute. That's way This is our week off. That's <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, I'm you, sure. But, Brennan, you had a I departure. I the when there's not so much work to be done. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. true. You, you have a departure like a uh, from your trip. house. Yeah, it should be. You have a departure from your house today. Are you sad? Um, yeah, I am sad. I had to. Uh, I was <laughs> looking after uh, Miss Kitten, uh, my friend's cat, <laughs> and it was a sad day. Uh, you know, I looked after her for about ten. What's 10 the cat's days name and, again? Uh, Miss, Miss Kitten. Miss Kitten. That's I know. Very, Is it either the worst name or the best name? I would maybe argue the best name because it's kind of funny. I but, think uh, you're just. It's. It depends on the person. You're either yeah. gonna pick either or, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It but just yeah, sounds so, amazing. Um, I had to drop Miss Kitten off today because they got back, and uh, yeah, it was a sad day. I First, really my uh, my, my cat's name is Snowflake, so <laughs> yeah. really judge. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, and I have a dog well, who has vicious diarrhea. I like that. That's original. Yeah. I, I have a dog who literally just has, ha, we've got it about three months ago now. And I think almost every day it has vicious diarrhea. So let's get into yeah, that now. That's uh, uh, it's a, it, it's a bit of a crap show around here. That's all I can say. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that's the low hanging fruit. Let's get into uh, our show. Uh, our first, your stock, our tech, oh, actually, Bre- Aaron, you're going to, you're going to do our top five to start, right? You've, I think so. Uh, I may as well. I mean, I'm. I'm yeah, we might as well. I'm, I'm up to start things. You're off. not even uh, sure. Halfway through, you'll figure it out. Now, the U- U.S. companies tend to start reporting a little bit earlier, so um, it really is. It, it's more weighted at the beginning of the earnings season to U.S. names, but um, Canadian names start to really pick up as the season goes along um, into late, late April, and then May. And this week is actually going to be a really busy week. We have Google. Microsoft and Meta reporting this week, but um, that's not going to make it. They haven't reported yet. So Q Q1 earnings season, uh, we're right in the thick of things. I've just, I've highlighted a lot of companies, as I said, about 250 companies. I just highlighted five that I thought were interesting. We really look at every single one, of course. Um, but I'm going to start with a Canadian micro to small cap, Ready Shred Capital Corp, KUT on the venture. Uh, Ready Shred Capital is the owner of ProShred, ProScan, and Secure eCycle brands. It reported strong financial results for their fiscal Q4 and f- full year of 2022. Reported those results on April 21st. Company reported impressive organic growth, particularly in its core shredding service offering. It also completed several acquisitions. Q4 revenue up 48% to $15.4 million. EBITDA per share in the fourth quarter up 70% to 17 cents. For the full year, the company grew its revenue 58% over $57 million and EBITDA was up 45% to 84 cents per share. And Ready Shred's plan is to grow the business by way of both franchising and the acquisition and operation of information security businesses that generate stable and recurring cash flow. 
Next up, we'll look at a U.S. mega cap. This is Procter & Gamble, PG. It's a $368 billion market cap company. It's a U.S. consumer products giant. They reported positive financial results for their fiscal Q3 2023, and they also raised their full year uh, sales guidance. So Q3 net revenue increased about 4% to $20.1 billion, and organic sales were up 7% for the quarter. Core EPS, earnings per share, was $1.37, up 3%. Fiscal 2023 all-in sales growth guidance was raised, but only to about 1%. So they're only looking at about 1% sales growth this year. Organic growth is still expected to be approximately 6%. So obviously the company is divesting some of its business. Fiscal 2023 diluted earnings per share growth was maintained in the range of um, flat to 4% growth over 2022, um, equating to $5.81 in earnings per share expected for the current year. That puts Procter & Gamble's valuation at about uh, 26 times earnings, roughly 26 to 27 times. Next, we'll take a look at another U.S. company, Badger Meter, BMI, on the New York Exchange. Trades at $135 per share. It's a $4 billion market cap company. This is a flow measurement company. They reported record Q1 growth. Um, the results came out on April 20th. Q1 sales increased 20% to $159 million. Operating profit increased 33%. And earnings per share were up 35% to $0.66 cents per share. They also completed an acquisition at the beginning of the year for $18 million, and this extends their offerings in the smart water and pressure monitoring and leak detection businesses. The company's expanding portfolio of end-to-end -end smart water offerings um, is really what they attribute a lot of their success in the quarter to, um, and they're seeing strong demand in that area. Another U.S. giant here, uh, Lockheed Martin. Everybody's talking about defense stocks, so this is somewhat topical. Uh, it's a $122 billion market cap company, um, one of or the largest defense contractor in the United States, also a major player in the space race as well. They reported largely flat Q1 results on April 18th. Uh, first quarter net sales was $15.1 billion compared to $15 billion for the same quarter last year. Um, earnings per share... Uh, $6.61 compared to $6.44 last year. There were some notable accomplishments in the quarter. This included securing a contract for the first U.S. sea-based hypersonic missile program, also delivering the first F-16 fighter aircraft out of their new Grenville, South Carolina factory, and third, being selected to provide, the, to provide 88 F-35 fifth-generation fighter aircraft to Canada. The company says they're on track to achieve their full year guidance of 65 to 66 billion in revenue and 2660 to 2690 per share in earnings. So this puts them at about a valuation about 18 times expected earnings for the current year. And then finally, we're going to look at a uh, micro cap, small to micro cap in the up here in Canada. This is Atlas Engineered Products. Trades at a price of a dollar. It's just under $60 million market cap. They're a supplier of trusses and engineered wood products. They reported record financial results for the fourth quarter and full year on April 20th. Full year revenue was up 12.4% to about $62 million. Operating income increased 26% to $12.5 million. And earnings per share climbed 55% 
to 14 cents per share. Uh, the company continues to assess M&A opportunities, acquisitions that fit to their goals and strategies. They're also working on bringing in um, automation and operational improvements and adding new products. So when we look at these results, they are fantastic. 14 cents per share to a dollar share price looks like a cheap valuation. However, we have to caution about extrapolating these results going forward because the company also mentioned that they expect to enter into a more competitive market in 2023 as higher interest rates impact the housing market. And that does it for our top five for the week. Awesome. Yeah, the first company there, Ready Shred, we've interviewed a couple times in the past. They're an interesting business. Um, I, I do, I did note that the EBITDA margins in the quarter that they achieved were down from uh, margins they've achieved uh, in the first nine months of the year. So it was lower up year over year in that quarter. Similar on the operating income margin as well, lower in the quarter. They are, I know, dealing with persistent inflationary pressures and supply chain disruptions. Uh, they had higher fuel costs, although it does look like fuel costs have come down. We'd have to dig into the numbers a little farther. But, you know, it does seem interesting that one of the trends that we've seen with them is they're rolling up some of their franchisees, and that has continued uh, so buying essentially their own franchises or franchisees. Uh, but they're buying them, I believe in the last quarter, they bought them about 5.75, 5, you know, five and a half to six times EBITDA. Now, the thing is, they're trading at that price, too. So, you, you know, I'm sure they'd like to have their share price a little higher to be buying at the same price. Uh, then the math works out a little better. But they do probably believe they can bring it into their fold, uh, reduce costs and juice the EBITDA, juice the cash flow coming out of the company. So it is interesting. Debt has increased at a time when uh, interest rates are higher, so it's something to monitor. But, you know, it is trading at relatively, it looks like, reasonable multiples. We'd love debt to be lower and cash to be higher, but you can't have everything perfect in a business. It is one we're monitoring, as well as we've interviewed Atlas as well. Uh, great quarter. Uh, great year, really, for the company. Um, the you know one of the issues we have it can be very boom and bust in that industry. So you can have a great year, and then it can it doesn't necessarily have to fall off a cliff. But at some point, if demand wanes, it you know earnings can go significantly in the other direction. So we monitor both of those companies closely, but um, they're not buys right now for us. We're looking well, certainly with Atlas, we'd be concerned about management's indication that it's going to be more competitive in, in 2023. So that can mean anything. It can mean flat revenue, lower revenue. Certainly, you would expect some pressure on margins. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. It, you know, just going back to Ready Shred as well. And like, this is, you know, something that we were being cautious about uh, when we uh, interviewed them is just the overall price of paper. We've seen it basically go... Um, you know, consecutively since Q4 of 2020, we have only seen the price of paper increase until the most recent quarter that they just resulted or uh, came out with Q4 of 2022. Now, I mean, it still is elevated, but this is the first sequential quarter where we've actually seen paper prices slightly come down or kind of go flat rather than continue uh, their upswing. Um you know, as well, just moving back to uh, Atlas uh, engineered products, 
Um, you know, like I did see like that the company currently anticipates that increased interest rates will have a minimal overall effect on the housing market, given the number of homes uh, still needed to be built to support Canada's continued growth in immigration. Now, I do know that in one of our past calls, uh, we asked, you know, what could potentially derail you? And that's what they said is, you know, interest rates going above, I believe, that 4% mark. Um, you know, so it is interesting them coming out and actually saying the opposite where they don't anticipate interest rates to affect the overall housing market. Now, I don't know if that's just, you know, they're trying to be glossy about things to not scare the market. But, uh, you know, they are taking that side of things now that uh, it shouldn't overall uh, make a slowdown, they are saying. Yeah, both those companies certainly good uh, years and rank, you know, probably in the top 10% of all smaller related companies in Canada, without a doubt. Whether they meet our full criteria right now or not, uh, we'll continue to look at them in more depth and see if we can have sustainable earnings. It's great to have earnings in one year, but if you don't sustain that growth or maintain that and you fall off a cliff one or two years later, I can't sustain a higher share price over the long term. So that's what we're looking for. Companies with a little bit more sustainable earnings. Uh, potentially, you know, Ready Shred has that. Uh, we'll look at Atlas to see if it can continue to maintain growth over the long term and earnings and cash flow and revenue. So that's what we're looking at from these businesses, see if they can continue that. All right, let's move to the next segment. It's our Your Stock, Our Take segment. I'm going to take that. The first company we're going to look at here in this segment is Seacom Satellite Systems, CMI and the TSX. Price about a dollar. Stock is down 48% in the last year. Market cap, 42.2 million. Pays a dividend, about a 5% yield. What does the company do? They develop and deploy commercial grade mobile auto deploying satellite-based technology for the delivery of two-way high-speed internet, VoIP, and video services into vehicles. Seacom has developed a unique proprietary mobile auto-deploying iNet view antenna that allows the delivery of high-speed satellite-based internet into vehicles while stationary virtually anywhere one can drive. So what has led to the share price lowering itself over the past year? Q1 fiscal year 2023 revenues dropped 77% to 683,000. The company reported a loss before other income and income tax of approximately 448,000 compared to operating income of 802,000 in in, uh, in the same quarter of 2022. So management has stated that demand for the company's product is sluggish in the face of a number of headwinds, including economic uncertainty due to the war in the Ukraine, inability to sell products due to the embargo, supply chain issues with availability of products customers are requesting to be integrated with the company's antennas, component shortages, and fear of global recession. These factors are all having negative effect on their on CCOMs and it's lower than usual revenues for the first quarter. So our take, the positives here include a very strong balance sheet for a business of this side. The company completed Q1 fiscal 2023 with 17.36 million of cash and marketable securities. Basically no debt, that's 42% of the company's market cash, or cap, sorry. The cash allows the company to remain committed to its R&D program despite these near-term headwinds as new products are essential for long-term success, including the company's recently announced 
it, it, it recently announced that it had received formal qualification for its iNet View series antennas from Intelsat. Intelsat is one of the world's largest integrated satellite and terrestrial network operators and a leading provider of in-flight connectivity. But it takes more than just cash on the balance sheet to meet our criteria. While the dividend appears attractive and the company has cash on hand to continue paying it, we note that operating income has only covered the dividend in three of the last nine quarters. It is true that there is lumpiness to the business, but this is not a sustainable long-term approach. Business will have to recover to more normalized levels to make a dividend make sense long-term. While the existing technology, cash on hand, and new developments may come, may ultimately be worth more than the current share price without current strong cash flow and facing near-term continued headwinds, we are not currently recommending a buy on CECOM at present. We will revisit it in the future as the macro environment improves for the business. I've always, uh, the, the idea of paying your dividend with cash in the bank, I mean, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. I suppose if you have too much cash and you, you need to get rid of it in the form of a special dividend to return it back to shareholders, I can understand that. But the whole idea of a regular dividend is that it's supported by underlying cash flow, right? I mean, I want to know that that's sustainable. I want to know that that dividend can grow. And, you know, as you know, I mean, CECOM, it's had issues maintaining profitability and, and maintaining consistency of financial performance in the past. So nice yeah. balance sheet, but. It's lumpy and, uh, you know, in the in the current environment, it wouldn't be something, you know, we had it recommended the company years ago when it had about 50, around 50% of its cash in the bank. It had been profitable for a number of years. It was trading at 40 cents then and then ended up exiting about a dollar. Uh, you know, the business at some point, maybe it's an acquisition target, but we don't buy businesses just based on that. Like Aaron said, Without sustained profitability, uh, it's not just—it's just not a company we would recommend right now. There may be an opportunity at some point if you saw a um, long-term a long-term trajectory ahead of them for growth over a three, four, five-year period. Don't see it right now. And um, while there, you know, there is that great cash stockpile. If they're not creating cash over time, that gets depleted, and uh, it's not a business that would meet our criteria. All right. Well, Brett, you're going to answer a question on Pinterest, Brennan's favorite site on the internet. True. You're all over it. Brennan's mom's favorite. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Brennan's mom's favorite. It's your favorite pins, too. We know. pins pictures of you on there. This is true. Look at Brennan's shirt. It's lovely. <laughs> all right. Moving away from Brennan though, let's actually get into the company. <laughs> Pinterest symbol P-I-N-S or PINS on the New York Stock Exchange is an online product and idea discovery platform that helps users gather ideas on everything from recipes to cook to destinations to travel to. Founded in 2010, the platform consists largely of female audiences in Brennan at roughly two-thirds of its 450 million monthly active users. The company generates revenue by selling digital ads and is now rolling out more in-platform e-commerce features. Pinterest has a strong 2023 so far, up just over 19% year-to-date, trading at roughly $27.32 and a market cap of $18.7 billion. All right, let's look at the income statement for Q4 2022, which was released in February. Pinterest had a 
8% revenue growth for the fourth quarter to $877 million, and 9% revenue growth for the year to $2.8 billion. The company was able just to squeak out a gap net income of $17 million for the fourth quarter. However, that was down 90% year over year. As well, Pinterest had a loss of $96 million for the year, 2022. On a per share basis, it had $0.03 cents for the quarter and a loss of $0.14 cents for the year. Just as a note, Q4 is historically their strongest quarter as the company benefits from higher retail spending and therefore ad spend for the company during the quarter. But let's look at some of its non-GAAP metrics, which it loves to show. Switching to that, Pinterest adjusted EBITDA for 44% year over year to 196 a million and 46 and fell 46% to 442 million for the year. Non-GAAP net income fell 40% for the quarter to a profit of 203 million and fell 55% for the year to a profit of 426 million on a per share basis 29 cents for the quarter and 62 cents for the year. So, why was non-GAAP just so much more profitable than GAAP? Well, the big difference is just share compensation. The only other adjustment in 2022 was amortization of acquired intangibles, and even then it was a small fraction of the total adjustment. Share-based compensation added $170 million for the fourth quarter and $497 million for the year, which is a lot, obviously. Share-based compensation adjusted is the sole reason why Pinterest was profitable on a non-GAAP basis for 2022. We've talked many times about how compensation adjustments lead to miss end up misleading investors in many cases but in pinterest case they go a step further than many companies do reporting non-gap earnings by removing share compensation for their sorry for their uh non-gap earnings pinterest in its q4 also announced the repurchase of 500 million in shares they had a share compensation of 497 million so effectively they're just repurchasing what they share comped out last year removing any potential benefit by using share compensation, which lowers cash expenses. You're able to hold more cash in your bank by using shares, issuing that as a, a salary. So in my opinion, it's just disingenuous, the non-GAAP earnings overall. But Pinterest is by no means the only company who does this, but it should still be looked at and it should, you should be critical when a company does do this. So moving to the balance sheet. The balance sheet is strong. The company has a strong cash position of $2.7 billion, roughly 14.4% of the market cap, with the, debt, the only debt being operating lease of $229 million, resulting in a net cash position of $2.5 billion. Pinterest has been able to continuously build this large cash position as it's been consistently operating cash flow positive since 2020. And prior to that, it actually issued $1.6 billion in stock in 2019. So they've had a large cash position ever since that. But looking forward, the company is looking to expand its margins in 2023 by reducing operating expenses on a non-GAAP basis. They specifically said non-GAAP in their earnings call, so I'm questionable that. Pinterest expects low-digit revenue growth for its first quarter in 2023. The company does not give monthly active user guidance, but has returned to growth year over year in the user base after its post-lockdown fall off. So it was quite high during the lockdown, obviously, as everyone was online, had nothing to do most social media websites and general internet uh, companies saw quite a big rise during that period in 2020 and 20, early 2021. But that's fallen off, but they have finally returned to growth year over year for their monthly active users. As well, they're seeing deepening of their user base. So they're look, comparing their weekly active users compared to their monthly active users. Monthly active users now make up 61%, or sorry, weekly active users now make up 61% compared to monthly active users. 
and just as a quick look at the valuations, the valuations are weak because they are so their uh, earnings are so weak in quality. They have a trailing adjusted PE of 44 times. Remember, that is including that massive boost from share compensation. So even then, it's, it's quite high. And it's also to be taken with a grain of salt as there is the big boost by uh, share compensation being removed. So our take, the company has the appearance of non-GAAP earning and EBITDA earnings, but it's just too far off being GAAP profitable at this time for our criteria as well. They have low revenue growth previously and expect it going forward. Although they do have a nice balance sheet, but that just you cannot buy a company just purely off balance sheet if they're not producing anything out of it. So Pinterest is releasing their Q1 23 earnings later this week on April 27th. So we will be watching for any changes. But for now, I'll just open it up to you guys. Yeah, it's 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 a social media platform you don't hear much about in North America these days. I mean, I haven't really heard anybody talk about Pinterest. But when I looked at them in the past, probably over a year ago, um, it's really it's outside of North America that they seem to have gained popularity. Mm-hmm. And at the time, they were gaining popularity. Um, their share price actually pulled back significantly before the overall tech sector. So tech stocks really peaked around late 2021, around November, December, and, and then they started pulling back since then. Whereas um, Pinterest stock price started, it peaked about almost a year before, I mean, you know, January, February of 2021. So earlier in the year, um, indicating that, you know, it's different reasons. It's not just the overall tech sell-off that impacted the company, but rather likely um, what was going on with the actual business. Yeah, if you look at like the, you're mentioning that it was falling off in North America, I think that was about a quarter of their um, overall user base and about uh, another quarter was from Europe, then half was from uh outside of those two regions mm-hmm. and there's just a massive drop off in revenue per u- users in that worldwide audience outside of north america and europe it was like nine or ten cents a person versus like seven dollars so it's just a tiny mm-hmm. fraction so that is a way for them to obviously expand but when you're looking at those recent recent regions even for other companies you would never get even close to the same revenue base but it is quite low even as far as uh, those uh, outside of the so, Europe and so North American revenue regions. per user dropped outside of North America and Europe. Uh, it didn't drop like quarter over quarter. I think it's roughly the same, even slightly higher. But it's just a mm-hmm. small amount historically and currently. So it's like ten cents per user versus seven dollars, and that seven dollars being North per American user. So and... yeah, North America, okay. Europe's Europe's about a dollar, I think. So like Europe's already a big drop off and outside of Europe, it's even another big drop off. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So that's interesting. I mean, that's, that's, that's very interesting to know. Yeah. So that is their opportunity. If they can bring that up, you don't expect $7, don't even expect a dollar, but if they could bring that to 50 cents or something, that is their opportunity. And then if they decrease their cost, but right now it's just, it's too far off. That's too speculative for our taste, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Aaron brought up a good point in one of our client chat sessions the other day, because we were asked a question on Pinterest and it's just, you know, who knows the popularity of some of these social media platforms in the future? Um, Like look at how quick TikTok came in and is now, you know, the most popular among kids, like kids, are they even on Instagram anymore? I mean, I am, but uh, anyways, you know, just looking at Pinterest here, you know, who knows how popular it's going to be, you know, in the future, you know, five to 10 years. I mean, my mom will probably still be on it looking for crafts, but uh, I won't be. You know, I'll throw in the towel at that point. I doubt it. 
Well, <laughs> something that's not too expensive for Brennan is beer. And uh, yep. he's now going to talk about uh, Anheuser-Busch InBev, the Belgian giant in brewing. Um, and, you know, in the wake of the Bud Light uh, controversy that we saw over the past week. Uh, yes, I'm sure you've been sure. following it closely, Brennan. So let us know how it's <laughs> yeah. impacted the stock. If this is an amazing buying opportunity, which mm-hmm. I would kind of wink at. So. No, of course. So uh, yes, this question came in from Ken via email. And uh, like you said, the stock has been topical this month uh, following a controversial Bud Light commercial, uh, which Anheuser-Busch owns. Um, so yeah, let's get into it. So Anheuser-Busch InBev, or BUD, B-U-D, on the New York Stock Exchange, and this is an American Depository REIT, or ADR. Uh, It's currently trading at a price of about $65.52 and has a market cap of about $114 billion. So Anheuser-Busch InBev uh, is a Belgium-based company which distributes markets and sells beer and beverages. Its portfolio of over 500 beer brands includes global brands such as Budweiser, Corona, uh, Stella Artois, Michelob Ultra, Bud Light, and Modelo A Special. And the company's portfolio contains six of the top 10 beer brands by volume, uh, according to Euromonitor. So in the news recently, uh, in early April, Bud Light ended up partnering with Dylan Mulvaney, a trans woman and trans activist, to market the beer on social media. But Bud Light enthusiasts voiced their dissatisfaction with the marketing campaign, leading many to so-called boycott the beer. Headlines erupted that the stock lost $5 billion in value following the move. And this is true, but the headlines were merely for shock value. As if we measure from its lowest point during April, the stock was only down 5.5%, and it is now down just 2.5% since the outcry began. Now, Bud Light sales could suffer near term following the news, but personally, I believe that no publicity is bad publicity, and Anheuser-Busch's beer portfolio is very diversified. So those who are maybe even boycotting Bud Light may be unknowingly supporting the company by buying Corona uh, or you know, even Budweiser. And regardless of the most, or regardless of what you know, people think of the most recent marketing campaign, in my opinion, Anheuser-Busch probably produced one of the best marketing campaigns ever put together, which was the Budweiser "What's up, What's up? commercial. <laughs> I, I think awful. that's a classic, and they brought it back in uh, the Super Bowl, I think two, three years ago, where it was a bunch of robots saying "What's up," and I was laughing. It was a classic. Anyways, looking at the actual business at the fundamentals here. So the company recently came out with uh, their Q4 2022 results and revenue was uh, about 14.7 billion up three and a half percent from the prior year. Uh, normalized EBITDA was up 1.3% to 4.95 billion and normalized EPS uh, was up about 8.9% to 98 cents per share. And the company the company's balance sheet, they currently have about $10 billion in cash on their balance sheet with debt of about $79.91 billion, providing a net debt balance of approximately $69.94 billion and a net debt to EBITDA ratio of about 3.5 times. Now, management noted guidance for 
uh, fiscal 2023 with EBITDA expected to grow between 4 to 8% and revenue to grow ahead of EBITDA from a healthy combination of volume and price increases and indicated that they expect the average gross debt coupon in fiscal year 2023 to be approximately 4%. And quickly looking at the valuations, the stock trades with a PE multiple of about 20 times and an enterprise value to EBITDA multiple of about 10 times. So let's put this into comparison here and uh, let's look at a few of its peers. So up on the screen, uh, if you're just listening to the podcast, I have Anheuser-Busch, Heineken, and Molson Coors uh, being compared where I'm looking at their guidance, their 2023 uh, fiscal year 2023 guidance, their EV to EBITDA multiple, net debt to EBITDA uh, ratio, as well as their forward dividend yield. And essentially, my takeaway here is that Anheuser-Busch trades at a slight discount, is projecting similar growth to its peers, but has higher debt leverage and pays a lower dividend yield. So personally, when it comes to which of the three companies I would invest in between Anheuser-Busch, Heineken, and Molson Coors, again, this is kind of like a, a gun to my head scenario where I'm forced to pick one of these, you know, it's really a close call. You know, all are projecting moderate growth, have levered balance sheets and trade with similar EV to EBITDA multiples. But I would personally pay the ever slight premium for either Heineken or Molson Coors, given their more sustainable net debt to EBITDA multiples and their slightly higher dividend yields. And of course, the most important factor is that I drink Coors Light as my choice of beer. And, you know, I would even settle for, you know, a Heineken uh, over uh, a Budweiser or Bud Light. That's it. That's all. Well, you just uh, told us how poor your taste is in beer there at the end, and we're uh, really you glad you came idea. up with that. Yeah. <laughs> nice job there. I don't know. Well, I, I looked I, like you I, were I very credible up until that point. My, my first thought was just like, who drinks light beer anyways? <laughs> Brennan does. I know. Do <laughs> <laughs> drink light beer? No, yeah, I know. If, I if you're going to have a beer, it's like, what's the point? Just right? drink a beer. Well, drink a normal beer. I know. I, that's I just my opinion. That. No offense well, to you know all what the viewers that love their light beer. In, in defense of Brennan, he's drinking a lot of it, so it does matter then mm-hmm. if he's light, right? So that's one of the my thing. friends Whoa, actually, Chad. Um, his parents actually um, made sure that only light beer was ever in the fridge, just in case if he was to you know smuggle some of them out of the garage, just to make sure that their beloved Chad wouldn't end up in a ditch somewhere and be too drunk. <laughs> so that He's, was their strategy he just ended up in a drinks in a ditch and peeing a lot that was the issue because he just drank <laughs> yeah. more of it that's Fair what enough. happened uh all right i think that's that's closing out our show this week uh i know brennan's in really antsy to get to the airport he's got a flight tomorrow morning yep. he'll be there at seven o'clock tonight camping out at the airport ready for his flight tomorrow morning can't miss um, it Yep. Yeah, we'll look forward to We actually invited clients down to this event. So maybe we'll see some uh, clients at this event as well. If you are there, come up to us, say hi, um, and we'll be doing a podcast. I, I don't think it's live, but it may be. Maybe it is on uh, Tuesday. And then we'll be interviewing companies uh, both of the next two days. So it should be interesting. May, may have some companies that we want to talk about either on here or uh, releasing to our clients as uh, new companies that we buy over the next uh, month. All right. Well, that's going to close off our show for this week. Thank everybody. Keep your questions coming to our Your Stock, Our Take segment. If you want us to review any company, 
Uh, keep smashing that subscribe button if you're viewing this on YouTube, if you're listening to it, wherever you consume podcasts. If you're on iTunes, please review us on there. Rate and review us. And as always, I wish you profitable investing. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.